0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: A small seven-year-old boy listens to the footsteps of a two hundred and fifty pound woman moving down the hallway on a squeaky sub floor at three in the morning. He huddles in bed with the covers pulled up over his head, hearing the slow turning of his bedroom doorknob under her insane mumblings that sound like an animal speaking a foreign language. To hear her arguing with someone who was not there since his heart racing. As usual, he waits in terror for the moment to pass. As he hears the footsteps make their way back down the long dark hallway, he jumps up and cracks open the door. From his vantage point, the moon illuminates the single window at the far end of the hall the reflection of the woman in the moonlight burns disturbingly into his memory forever. Two inches of doorway opening is all he needs to witness what looks like someone has taken up residency in his mother. The closer she gets to the end of the hall, the more focused her disfigured face appears. That face becomes his own personal horror story. She hits her chest with a winter boot in each hand, laughing wildly and moving into deep discussions with unseen persons. Her eyes are wide ever so wild and fearful her irregular toothy grin and the wagging of her tongue set the young boy's heart on edge this was the first time it happened from then on he would go to bed each night with his hockey stick in hand and his dresser pushed up against the door that small frightened seven-year-old was tonight's special guest this is his eyewitness account which is not merely the true story of the demon possession of his mother, but the frantic attempt of a seven-year-old boy to survive the daily onslaught of her insane and devilish behavior. This battle continued for 12 years. He had no idea until his 10 years that this behavior wasn't normal. It was his reality, since he knew nothing different. His mother's 24 hour day seven-day-a-week ordeal was all he ever knew of her. He was in his teens, when her bizarre behavior escalated to frightening heights, so that he had to adjust his living just to survive. This, unfortunately, began long before he was able to recognize, as you will hear as the story faults. Most common, if we can use that word, paranormal accounts are short in duration, but this was his life for 12-plus agonizing years. The terror she subjected him to was all day and all night as if she never slept. It kept on even when he snuck in the house, undetected. The same insane babbling and self-inflicted violence. It was always coupled with constant whistling and the arguing of many voices, all of them coming from her, all day, every day. Evening would bring on panic, and the screaming, thumping, banging, and night movements would commence. All of it was absolutely shocking to him. His name... Is Michael Anthony Gagliardi. And this is his story.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, EMP shield, solar, and EMP protection, rebounders, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick.
1: Tonight's special guest is Michael Anthony Gagliardi. This is the harrowing true story of a young boy's survival for 12-plus years with a demonically possessed mother. She terrorized the family, the neighbors, and authorities in a small northern town in Ontario, Canada, from the mid-70s to the mid-80s. A gripping and heartbreaking tale full of fear, anger, courage, and most importantly, perseverance. Michael married at the early age of 19, and he and his wife had two daughters, eventually five grandchildren, and are still married, going on 33 years. Michael is a Latin flamenco and smooth jazz guitarist who plays countless events for casinos, private clients, and theater concerts, mostly in the California, Arizona, and Nevada regions of the United States, but has played internationally, far away as Israel. And directly from Coachella Valley in Southern California, I would like to welcome Michael Anthony Gagliardi, the author of Devil Take the Hindmost. Hello, Michael, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Uh,
2: Very good. Thank you so much for for having me. It's a a pleasure to be able to uh,
1: speak about my book. By the way, before we begin, I just want to let you know, congratulations, because I love flamenco music and i've been listening to your music all day long today (laughs) honestly really really great stuff but let's begin with your story which is a riveting story let's begin from the moment you were born
2: i was born in 1968 in a little italian community in one of the boroughs of toronto it's much like uh, New York, we've got, you know, boroughs. And the borough that I, I was born into is called Etobicoke. It's a, an Indian name, but it, it, even to this day, it is an Italian uh, community. Most, most Italians live. And uh, from 1968 to 1973, um, we moved in and around the Toronto area, and uh, by the time I was, uh, I would say three years old, maybe even before, before three years old, uh, things started happening in our house. Um, uh, even at that age, I was very, you know, I was very young, but I was very, um, let's say, sensitive to to um, uh, spiritual things. I was very sensitive and analytical, uh, even as a small child, and I began to notice that there were things, things wrong in our house. Uh, I have a sister that's seven years older than me. So she was more, um, uh, uh, coherent, um, because of her age at that time, but she confirmed a lot of the things that I was feeling that something was just not right, uh, in our house, uh, with our mother. Uh, I think around 1970, 72, I believe it was, uh, the first incident happened, you know, coming, we're an Italian family. Uh, my, my mother's side was Italian and my father's side was from Italy. And uh, the, the first event that happened that really began to open my eyes was that, uh, you know, during lunchtime as a, as a little Italian boy, we would always get this uh, this little uh, soup called uh, uh, pasta fasule, which is uh, pastina. Uh, It's like star soup. American people would know it as like a little star soup. And my mother would always call me to the table, and it would already be on the table. That was the the regular routine. Uh, But this particular afternoon, um, when we were living in Toronto, uh, she called me to the table. I went to the table. It wasn't there. And she came up behind me and dumped the scalding hot soup down my left shoulder. And, uh, of course, it was scalding hot, so I was screaming and yelling. And uh, she offered no, no uh, uh, consolation to me, no affection. She didn't ask me if I was okay. She was extremely indifferent about it. I remember uh, her calling a taxi. We took a taxi uh, to the doctor's. Uh, She never consoled me uh, on the way there. She never told me it was going to be okay. She never kissed me. She never asked me anything. There was no affection whatsoever. And uh, we went to the doctor. I don't remember what exactly happened to the doctor, but I believe he bandaged my shoulder up uh, because I had there weren't uh, severe burns like first degree or anything. But I remember it being very painful. And uh, we went home and basically that incident was forgotten about. Uh, but it was the incident that opened up my eyes that something was wrong. And the trauma that I experienced from that, uh, that's what opened my eyes. And I began to, to watch my mother and to be very, very sensitive about what was going on in the house. I remember at that time, it was before this, um, my mother's father had died. Uh, this could have been before I was even born, but she adored her her father so much, and she had two other siblings. Those two siblings she had to take care of because my mother, my grandmother, I guess she just lost it when her husband died. Um, I guess they all adored him. He was a good man, but uh, he died in a tragic accident. And I remember around the same time we were living in this house, uh, the scalding soup happened in in, in an apartment, but we moved from there into our first house. I remember it was one of those duplexes uh, that are in Toronto with a house on the bottom and then a house at street level. And uh, I remember going to bed and, you know, having the door open a little bit and I could hear, you know, when you're three, four years old, you know, the parents don't think you can hear them. Uh, but, you know, you do hear them, and even if you don't understand what's going on at that point, you remember it, and then you figure it out later. But uh, I remember them hearing uh, hearing through the door them talking about these words, uh, seances and, and uh, ESP and, and, you know, all these kind of things. And at that time, those were very popular things. Seances in the late 60s, early 70s were, were, were popular uh, uh, spiritual events. And uh, I remember that. I remember that. And I think uh, from talking to my sister, I think this was the beginning point, the entry point that my mom tried to, uh, uh, you know, get through to the spiritual realm uh, to talk to her father that she loved so much. And uh, I think that was the, the entry point. And uh, from what my sister tells me that these events started happening when I was very young, so they began to increase. By, the, by 1974, we moved 100 miles away, which was really weird because my dad worked in Toronto. So we moved 100, and it's actually 115 miles away, and he had to go work back down in Toronto. So he, we moved so far away, and then he had to drive all the way back down there uh, to work. So he'd stay down there during the week, and uh, th- this was our life. My father was never home. He was only uh, home on the weekend for a few hours, and then he would uh, go back down to Toronto. And then when we moved up to Meaford, that's when things began to escalate even more. Um, She was beginning to say crazy things now that I had never heard. Um, She never talked to me. I never heard her just speak to me normally. Uh, She was
1: unaffectionate. She never touched me. Who, who made the decision? Who made the decision to move? Your dad or your mom? I
2: um, I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. I think something happened uh, because all of our family was down there—our Italian side of the family and uh, my my mother's brother and sister and their kids—they all lived down in Toronto. So something happened because it seemed very odd to move so far away. You know, people usually move toward work. Not correct. away from it.
1: <laughs> so it's almost so, as if your mom moved the two of you for a purpose. And by the way, for the American listeners, the, the boroughs where you used to live, it's the, the equivalent of Queens or Brooklyn in New York, correct?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got, I think, five five or six boroughs in, in Toronto. And they're just cities attached to each other, you know, exactly how they are in New York City yeah. with Bronx and, and Queens and Manhattan places like that. But uh, yeah, that's where it all started. And then when we moved 100 miles away, we actually moved to this little town on a bay that was populated. It was 4,200 at the time. I think it's 4,500 now. So it hasn't really grown over the last 40 years. But uh, we moved there. And uh, then it was just my sister and I and my mother pretty much. My dad would come home on weekends. And uh, this is where it began to escalate. My mother's condition began to worsen. She began talking to herself. Uh, you know, when when we moved up there, I think it was 1970, the summer of 74, because I was just going into kindergarten in 75. Um, this is where she began to talk to herself. And, you know, we didn't really think that much of it, you know, and. Uh, she kept to herself. She hadn't, she had hardly any friends. We, every, I think it was every Thursday or Wednesday night, we would go to the, uh, kingdom hall. Uh, she was a Jehovah's witness. I think that had happened to, before I was born, but, uh, we went to the kingdom hall. We went a couple of years and then for some unknown weird reason, we were excommunicated. Uh, it just happened one day we were going and then we weren't going. It was very strange. Um, I think that they, we were excommunicated for the, for the, their rumors that I remember uh, once I got in high school, people, you know, kids talk, it's a small town. I think we were excommunicated because someone accused my father of being a, a a drug kingpin or something like that, uh, during the pizza connection days in the early eighties, 1980, Mm -hmm. 1981. So I'm, I'm really not sure if that was true or not. I know that my dad was involved in, uh, he had many friends in the mafia. Uh, he was friends with the Luciano Pavarotti and his brother. And, uh, we frequently would go down to Toronto on a Saturday in the winter time to barter because my dad was a fisherman. And we'd go there and we'd go to all these Italian all these Italian clubs. You know, they're the kind of clubs where, you know, nobody goes in and buys anything. And it's the same guys that are in there day after day after day after day, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so they were very strange, very strange. We would go in, he would uh, disappear, you know, behind a, a curtain in the back room. I'd play a video game. He'd show up, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes later, and then we'd leave. So that that part of it was all a mystery to me. But uh, once we had moved to Meaford, this is where things began to escalate. And she began talking to herself. And then as a few years progressed, when I became seven, eight years old, uh, so now we're looking about the first three years in Meaford, she began to be more articulate about what she was saying and arguing with herself and and conversations like, uh, she was speaking like multiple personality uh, type of thing, talking to two different people inside herself. That, that's the gist of it. And because it happened so slowly, all of us just kind of, yeah, she's crazy and we didn't take any notice. And it wasn't until I was about 10 years old that things started to, started to ramp up. Not only did she start to have these conversations, but now they became uh, very uh, wicked in nature. And then she began to have different voices. Uh, She would conversate in different voices and answer in different voices. And then a few years after that, it would get, the the conversations were more violent, more vile, uh, more fighting and arguing uh, with herself. And then they began to go into languages that I couldn't understand. And, you know, it's a very interesting thing when I look back at it now. Uh, because when it was all going on, you know, I was, uh, you know, pretty much oblivious to it. But to this day, I have learned many languages, foreign languages, because I couldn't understand what she was saying. And it made me so frustrated to not know what was going on, because for as far back as I can remember, she would talk to herself. And as the years progressed and went on, the conversations got worse they got evil they got blasphemous they got uh violent and vile in nature to the point where she was doing this uh from every waking moment of the morning till dusk and till nighttime and i it, it was beginning to really drive me insane because she never shut up it was like we were we would be in the room and it was as if she didn't even see us. She would go on talking and whistling and, and, and I mean, whistling like, you know, really pitch perfect songs and singing singing hymns and 70 songs in this loud voice. And then all of a sudden start arguing with herself and going between these voices. And it started to get a little freaky about, I, I think I was 10 years old by the time I was 13 years old, this is where all of that stuff kept going on day after day after day after day. like that wasn't enough. And then by the time I was 13 years old, right around then, she began and she did all this sitting in a chair in the living room. and she never left she never left that chair all day long. She would be there all day long until dusk and then go to her room at nighttime. And then that's where things started to escalate from there to different realms of evil. But uh, during around 13 years old, this is now where she began to have these conversations. They'd be in different languages. They'd be in different voices, some high, some low. I mean, she was only five feet.
3: Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now